Hello, I'm Amy Stevenson, and this is The Human CEO. In each episode, we'll be meeting with CEOs and senior leaders to understand their approach to leadership, the challenges they faced, and how they overcame them. We'll also be asking what they feel it takes to be a great leader. So whenever I do anything, I've always got in the back of my mind, so if this happens, what am I going to do? Yeah. Um, So when it happens, you're not sat there thinking, oh, I better get out the big spreadsheet and work out what we're going to do. You've thought it through in advance a bit. Welcome to The Human CEO. I'm your host, Amy Stevenson, and today I'm joined by Graham Hastings-Evans. Graham's the CEO of NOCN Group. NOCN's an educational charity that's been creating opportunities through learning and skills development for over 30 years. The group includes business units specialising in regulated UK and international qualifications, endpoint assessments, short courses, consultancy and more. Graham started his career in building and construction before moving on to develop the skills strategy for the London 2012 Olympics. He was Programme Director at the UK Commission for Employment and Skills before joining NOCN in 2011. Graham's worked closely with government on apprenticeship reforms, including the apprenticeship levy. Graham regularly speaks at events in the UK and internationally and is often called upon to comment in further education sector media. Graham joins us today to share his insight on his journey and the challenges he's overcome as a human CEO. Thank you for joining us today, Graham. It's great to have you with us. Thanks very much. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to speaking with you and learn a bit more about your story as well. So first of all, can you tell us about the organisation that you lead and what you're working towards, please? Yes, sure. We're uh, an educational charity that works in the UK as well as internationally. Uh, Mm -hmm. So that's Europe, Middle East, uh, Africa, Asia and India. Mm -hmm. Uh, And We're all about helping people get the skills to get in empl- into employment or when they're in employment, further their career and de- develop themselves. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we've helped millions and millions of people since we were set up as a charity in 1999. Uh, yeah. Fantastic. And so you've been with the business it's just over 12 years, isn't it? It is. Yes, it is. Yeah, just over 12 years. And in that time, we were quite a small charity. Uh, mm-hmm. We had 26 staff um, and we, we were in a bit of trouble um, so uh, it was a, it was quite a challenge uh, now we have nearly 200 staff um, plus about 300 associates so we're nearly 500 we've got a turnover now grown to about 17 million um, so dramatic change in that mm-hmm. time and that's a challenge actually yeah. as a leader to manage that change, uh, including through COVID. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that leads nicely on to my next question in terms of the challenges that you're up against at the moment. So obviously, I can't believe it's nearly three years ago since we locked down. I know, I know. know. Yeah, it is. This month, isn't it? Yeah, the end of this month. I was at a conference in Lincoln, yeah? Mm -hmm. And on the last day, it was like, well, we're all going home. We're all locked (laughs) We're all on lockdown. (laughs) Um, and then in terms of the challenges though so the delivery for for your organization i would imagine could that all go online or was it yes um a lot of what we do uh, can go online what we produce for somebody i suppose what 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 is it that we give somebody we give some somebody a qualification certificate so they can go to an employer and say you know i'm a uh, i'm a chef or uh, you know i'm a I'm a site manager or whatever it is. Yeah. <clears throat> About half of our work is within construction, engineering, manufacturing. So yeah. 
So we're big into that STEM area. So it's a qualification. Or we pass somebody as an apprentice that's finished their apprenticeship. And again, they get a certificate. Um, we give we give out plastic cards. If you work in construction, you must have a uh, a plastic card with your picture on, which yeah. says what you can do. Behind that is a digital CV okay. um, and a digital record. And what we're finding, we're moving now to completely digitizing all our qualification certificates. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and when they are at the moment, but we're now really pushing that. Actually, we're going to give you a digital certificate. Yeah. If you really want the paper one, you'll have to pay a bit more. But that's mm. not the way we're going to work. Um, same with the uh, apprenticeship certificate, and we are we already offer on the phone a version of the plastic card <laughs> okay. uh, with a digital CV behind it, uh, which will allow somebody over the whole length of their career to add their CPD, uh, to add their extra qualifications. Um, and in fact, we're rolling that out. Uh, in India for the uh, construction industry in India. Uh, they're keen to go down a similar similar road. And I, so I see digitization as the future. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so so three years on from lockdown, what kind of challenges are you up against as a leader of that kind of organisation that's changing at that extent? I, 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 th- I think it's the ability to manage change uh, because and uncertainty. Uh, we do a lot in green skills. Uh, yes, mm-hmm. uh, net zero. The technology is changing every month or yeah. so. Um, so. Yeah, it is. It's changing so quickly. And you need to be able to adapt and change quickly, use the technology, mm-hmm. work out where the top technology is going, how is it going. And you, I suppose you need an attitude of mind that doesn't doesn't mind change and isn't frightened by change yeah yeah um, and i i went into my career started in civil engineering mm-hmm. uh, many years ago uh, as a civil engineer things are always changing you're building things and everything's always changing yeah. so i've always loved change yes so for me as a leader i i had that natural sort of uh, ability but you've got to be able to adapt to change and not be frightened of it yeah. And instead of worrying about all the decisions you need to make over the next five, ten years, sometimes the right thing to do is make the decision that's in front of you, mm-hmm. but make it in a way that if things change, you can adapt and change and move forward from there. Yeah. And that's the world we're in. And some people find that really quite difficult because there isn't that degree of certainty. Yeah? Yes. Yeah. It's that ability to innovate and be agile. Uh, and when you get to a different spot, actually be innovative and agile again, depending on the situation you then find yourself in. Yeah. 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 It's interesting how the leadership skill sets changing as it well. Is. You know, it's, yeah. it, it is that management of change. It's that flexibility. It's the, it's almost the decision-making muscle that you need to build. Yes, it is. Well. And, and you need, you need a mental resilience. Yes. Yeah. Um, whatever gets thrown at you, don't get phased by it. Yeah. Um, just, uh, Again, I suppose I've I've learned from my time uh, when I became a civil engineer, I was learning to be a civil engineer. uh, They they always, they were taught you very early on, you need plan A, Mm -hmm. but you also need plan B, and you need plan C, and you need plan D. So whenever I do anything, I've always got in the back of my mind that, you know, so if this happens, what am I going to do? So when it happens, you're not sat there thinking, I better get the, I better get the, the, uh, at, at the big spreadsheet and work, work out what you're, we're going to do. 
you you've thought it through in advance a bit yeah so uh, and that's a re- that's a skill that uh, it helps the resilient your mental resilience mm-hmm. if you've got that sort of sense of if that goes wrong i think i know what i'm roughly gonna do yeah um and i think that's a good a good thing for a leader is to realize they need the plan b's and c's and d's yeah because that will help them coping almost constant crises in, in yeah. a funny way yes yeah yeah, yeah. that's the world we're in yeah because things that are not certain and they're changing all the time often it feels like there never will be again as well, no that's true <laughs> and i suspect that might be the case yeah yeah certainly for you know the rest of my career and probably a lot of other people's career it's going to be constant change yeah yeah how did you apply the uh, the plan a b c and d how did you apply that to something like covid because that um, that would have been plan z surely nobody saw that yes, coming, it was, really, did they? It, it was. I, I think we were fortunate uh, in that we were already trying to move down a road of uh, remote working okay. uh, at the time of covid we had probably uh, of our permanent staff, at least a quarter of them working remotely or at okay. home. Uh, all of our sort of uh, uh, contracted workers who work for us on a daily basis anywhere in the country, they were obviously peripatetic and they were mm-hmm. moving. So we, we were set up quite well to cope with people not yeah. in, in the office. So we moved immediately um in within 24 hours to everybody out of the office yeah yeah That's good. <laughs> me. so I, I think that helped and i suppose the one thing that i did learn from my early days of civil engineering standing on a site when something goes horribly wrong and uh, you've got to think fast and make decisions fast we did exactly that myself and my finance director went okay what we're gonna do yeah within uh, a couple of days we'd worked out what the plan was I communi- I, I've got a charitable board. You know, a ter- a ch- I'm the chief executive, but there's a, a, a set of trustees. We explained to the trustees what we were going to do, mm-hmm. explained to the staff what we were going to do. We send you in a way. Some of you are going to have to go on furlough. Yeah, we're going to do this, 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 this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, we, and we developed the plan really quickly. Um, and not everybody has got the ability to do that. And I, I, I do, I keep going back to my experience in civil engineering on construction sites, yeah. put you in an environment when you've got to do that. Yeah. You have to make a decision Yeah, yeah. and you have to think on your feet fast. And, yeah. and I think leaders today have to be able to do that. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't consider data and do the analysis and all of those things. Yes, of course you should, but you've mm-hmm. also got to be able to react quickly yeah. when mm-hmm. necessary. Uh, and I, I, I had that skill because that skill had been developed in me in my time in, in civil engineering construction. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating to me. When I, t- I always ask some of my next questions about your journey, but it's fascinating to me how people, where people start and the, and the impact that their early careers have on their leadership career. So yes. like you, you put civil engineering yeah. in your current role, there's, apparently there's a gulf between those two, but actually the connection between them is, is evident when you... I, I started my leadership journey at 19, working on a construction site in Denmark. <laughs> uh, and um, I was training to be an engineer, and um, I was put in charge of five Danish workers uh, who amazingly spoke really brilliant English. Okay. I was 19... They were 30 to 40, very experienced, and we were building a block of flats. 
Um, and we were building a block of flats from Elemente Construction, which is made in a factory and built built on site. We in the we in Britain still don't do that, but you know, in most of most parts of the world they do. And, and it's modern methods of construction. It's more efficient. It's greener and all the rest. Anyway, the Danes were there all those years ago, mm-hmm. and, and and suddenly um, I'm having to I'm having to control and give instructions to people in a language that's not their first language, although mm-hmm. you know. That, that wasn't so much of a problem. I didn't speak very much Danish. You know, say hello and can I have a cup of coffee, and that was about it at that stage. Yeah. Um, and I'm an engineer, so from their perspective, you know, I should know all the engineering stuff. But actually, I'm a trainee, okay. and I know they know more than I do. <laughs> um, so you respect your workforce, and I learned yeah. something that that experience that I had an authority, and I had to act that authority, and I had to play my role. So mm-hmm. when it but a decision needed to be made. I needed to make that because I was in charge. Yeah. But I also needed to respect the, the understanding and knowledge of the workforce and talk to them and consult with them and see what they thought. Yeah. And I found that is a really useful skill. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah? I needed to do it because I didn't know enough. But actually, I, I, I now continue to do that. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, many of the people who work with me in, in my current organisation who have worked elsewhere, say, uh, you're ever so open with the staff. You, you tell them about the problems and engage them with what they think you think the solutions might be. We can see you're guiding people or throwing ideas at people to, to, to get somewhere, but you're, you're much more open with people than has been our experience in other employers. Uh, and I've found that over the years, that's a really good thing. You know, yeah. when, when, when you're in a tough situation, you want everybody on board. Yeah. And and if you manage in that way, then you do get everybody on board. And I think that was part of our success in COVID. We could have gone we could have gone under in COVID because the government called all our funding overnight. Boom. Right. Income gone. Okay. Yeah. Announcement of the Secretary of State, income gone. Yeah. So, you know, that was a tough, tough time. <laughs> but we got through we got through it. Um, um I got through it by sharing all of those problems with the workforce, mm-hmm. getting them on board with what we were going to do to get through. And they yeah. were worried. Everybody was worried. We weren't We weren't the only ones in that position. No. The whole of the awarding body sector had been thrown into that position by the government. Um, but but we got through it. Others didn't. Um, but part of the success of getting through that COVID experience, I believe, was, was being open and engaging with people, yeah? You yeah. can't tell them everything, but you need to be able to tell them enough and explain it in a way they can understand it. Yeah. So good communication. I think uh, context is everything, isn't it? In, yeah, and honest communication, yeah. yeah. Yeah, fantastic. And so was it always was it always the case that you were going to be a managing director, chief executive? Was When you were on that building site at 19, did you sort of say to yourself, this is what I want to do, I'm going to build a career in this? Or did it happen um, organically? I, I think I didn't feel like that until probably I was in, I would say, my 40s. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. For a long time, I would have seen myself as a, uh, well, I, I did. I saw myself as a, uh, a senior technician type. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Quite a technical person. Okay. Um, uh, dealing with projects, doing things. And then, Right. Yes, it would be. It would have been actually late late thirties. I started to think, 
actually, I'd like to be a managing director or a chief exec. That you know, interchangeable, aren't they? The, the, yeah, the yeah. yeah, yeah. What, um, what was it? What was the catalyst? I just thought I can do more of what I think needs to be done if I've got the authority. So okay. instead of having somebody above me that I thought was not doing the right thing, if I was in that place, I could yeah. do what I think is necessary. Yeah. So that that's what drove me. Yeah. I, yeah. I want to achieve something and I can achieve it if I've got if I've got the authority and the ability mm-hmm. to pull all the levers to achieve it. So that that's what got me there. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. And so you told us a story about the the building site in Denmark in terms of your almost the start of your approach to to leadership but how has your style evolved over time has that been influenced by advice that someone's given you or other leaders that you've come across yes um it it's i joined coopers and Lybrand and i became a management consultant mm-hmm. um so i've had i've got two professional qualifications okay. i'm still a chartered civil engineer uh, in fact i'm still heavily engaged in in the industry um at, at quite a senior level um, but I went into management consultancy uh, from construction, mm-hmm. um, uh, and that broadened me out. So I did some in financial services, broadcasting, you know, a range of other sectors, engineering, manufacturing. So I bro- broadened broadened out my sort of skill set knowledge. Coopers and Waterhouse Coopers, but they were called Coopers and Ryband at that mm-hmm. stage. Um, they were excellent. They had a proper in-house management training course. So I went on loads of management courses, yeah, loads and loads of management courses. So that was ex- that was very good. I also worked actually just before before I went to Coopers, um, I worked in uh, Northwest Water Authority as it was coming up to privatisation, as it was a utility then, and it and it became United Utilities. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I was in. Uh, I worked in the chief executive's department, running capital programs, building strategy. So I I got into that world. Yeah. Uh, I worked for a chief executive who had worked for Shell, um, uh, and he became a bit of a mentor. Yes, I learned quite a lot from him personally. But that organisation also had a great management development program of moving people around the organisation to uh, to develop their managerial skills as well as training so between those two i I did have a really great foundation in what have been my i went into northwest water 30s yeah uh yeah in those early 30s yes uh into uh, late 40s uh well uh, yeah not through my 30s by the 40s uh, i'd I'd actually had a phenomenal amount of management good management Mm -hmm. training both in individuals and from the organisations I work for. Yeah. I say it's a combination of all those experiences, isn't it? That yes, it does. ends up being the leader that you are today. Yeah, yeah. No, it does. I, I also it- had, a, a, I suppose, a massive experience. Uh, I went to work in Libya. Um, oh. And uh, I was 24. And we had, I had a workforce of 2,000 people. Oh. Some Greek, some Greek, mm-hmm. some English some Irish, some Lebanese, some Egyptians. Uh, so a bit of a uh, Tower of Babel <laughs> in, terms of, in terms of language, culture and the rest. And that was a bit of thrown in at the deep end. Uh, what a learning different. experience. But a fantastic learning yeah. experience. Yeah. Uh, a fantastic learning experience. 
good for you. And and so thinking about all those experiences, is there a piece of advice that you'd offer to someone that was either looking to follow in your footsteps or just about to take a step up into a leadership role? Is there advice that you'd yeah. share? Yeah. The, the thing that I would, I would share is do actually do some formal training. Yes. Okay. I have benefited from that. Mm-hmm. Do some reading, find somebody that's going to be a mentor and you can refer to and talk to. Mm-hmm. Don't feel I've been promoted. I've got to do this job. And I, I, and I've seen this with some people, they get into almost a lockdown mode. They're okay. too nervous to say they don't know enough. Just okay. accept you're in, you might have been promoted, but you're still in a an, an learning mode here. Mm-hmm. So continue to learn. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In, in a formal sense, in uh, self study and in talking to other people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but I, I have seen people fail because they, they almost uh, are too nervous to say to somebody, actually don't know what to do. Yeah. Uh, what, what, what's your advice in these circumstances? And uh, I, I've seen people fail badly because mm-hmm. they've not been able to continue that learning in an open way. Yeah, it's that imposter syndrome. I think the, the vulnerability and the authenticity that comes with saying, I'm going to give this my best shot. I am new to this. Let's figure it out. I think the authenticity that comes with that, that's the answer to the imposter syndrome. It is. Yes, it often, is. often. Maybe yeah. not always, but often. Yeah. And, yeah, and, the, and the person that locks themselves into that mentality, they don't mean to, they're just going to draw yeah. into it. Yeah, and it's, uh, it, 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 it's, it, it, you'll fail. <laughs> yeah, it's easily done. Easily done. Yeah. And, and thinking about mentors from the past then, are there, maybe not, maybe not directly that you've had contact with, but I always like to ask, past or present, famous or otherwise, is there a particular leader that you admire or you've taken something from in the past that's helped you? Um. I think I think I've got uh, I've got two that I've worked with. Uh, one was in uh, United Utilities. I mentioned the chief executive. I learned a lot from him. Um, uh, he was a very clever man, um, but he was um, a man that would engage and, and you know, talk to you. Um, so I did learn a lot from him, uh, and I learned a lot from one of the directors in Coopers and Lybrand, um, uh, PwC, uh, as well. So I had two two people that. In that, in that, I suppose period of roughly my thirties, which was really quite the, I suppose the developmental stage of my management, mm-hmm. uh, I had two really good mentors, um, and I I listened to them and I learned from them, yeah. and added obviously my own experience. But you know, I've been out out, out in sites in Denmark and Libya and all sorts of places, yeah. so I've, I've been thrown in the deep end. So I'd learned some stuff that way, obviously, hadn't yeah. I? Um, but I had that those two mentors that were really, uh, really good. Yeah, fantastic. And are there any famous leaders that spring to mind? When I ask this question, often we'll get um, sort of the Bransons and the Mandelas. And are there any any famous leaders that particularly spring to mind? I, I, I've been to Mandela's house. I mean, yeah, he, he, he's yeah, he's fantastic. I've been to Soweto um, uh, and uh, and the uh, Apartheid Museum, which is quite a dramatic place to go. Okay. But he's not the one. I, although I, I I do admire him very much. The one that I'll tend to think about uh, is Winston Churchill. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not always that popular with everybody, um, but I think it's the. The thing I, I, I get from him is the, the determination to just keep on going in, mm-hmm. in adversity, both personally, 
obviously he had his massive ups and downs politically you know you think he's finished and and he rises again from the dust um and during the second world war as his doggy determination kept kept on going and i think that sort of resilience and uh ability to just focus on the objective and keep at it and yeah. and adapt when you need to i think yeah. the things that I, I i learned from him yes yeah, yeah. Or, or i take from him yes yeah. Yeah. yeah and i think the thing that i i admire in him as well although you know i don't know masses about him but i do know that he even through the, the world war he took that time to take a step back and reflect he wasn't yes. he wasn't necessarily at risk of burnout because he made that commitment to take a step back and reflect and give yourself the time and the space and that's something that's easy to forget especially over the last three years that we've all been through it's easy to just keep going in there I think that comes back to everything, and I, I do work long hours. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you, you have to, as a chief exec, yeah. Mm-hmm. But the, the person at the top, the buck stops there, and in fact, you can't be a chief exec unless you can cope with that. Yes, yeah, that the buck stops here and it, it's down to you. Mm-hmm. But I always make sure, uh, particularly weekends and holidays, to switch off. Yeah. yeah, you need the switch off time, um, and, and I've seen people burn out because they don't do that. They don't just switch off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, uh, yeah. So they need that. You're, you're intense. You're you know, running around like the headless chicken. Don't they? Yeah. Uh, you need to reflect, and you need to switch off. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. easier said than done, but I am working on it. it. But I, I take that from characters like Winston Churchill. It is. It is. Yeah. yeah. And and in terms of sort of your reading, so you mentioned that you would. Um, the advice was read a lot, do some courses. Is there anything yeah. that you've read in the past, particularly that's either helped you or has been in- influential that you could share? Um, no, I, I've read loads of management books, so uh, I can't think that. Yeah, I wouldn't pull a list off. Um, I think wide reading. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I do read a lot of history. Okay. The famous people, um, the Duke of Wellington. I'm just finishing the last Empress of China, okay. and and I I find quite a lot of uh, inspiration from major leaders in history and yeah. how they approach problems. Yes, yeah. um, so I find that interesting, as well as the management theory books that we all that we all read. I think it's that taking an individual's experience and how they did it. As you say, Mandela, um, uh, and I, I've, I've read uh, Wellington, and I've read um, I've read Churchill. And I'm reading The Last Empress. Um, so I think I think yeah, those type of characters and yeah, how did they cope? What was their leadership style? When yeah. when they hit massive problems, what did they do? Yeah, I yeah. think. Uh, that's helpful yeah yeah that's interesting thank you for sharing that with us and and in terms of the organization itself then so what's going to be happening over the next six nine twelve months that you can tell us about this um yeah um well we, we continue to expand um uh we develop we're going more and more online uh, mm-hmm. we're rolling out online certificates to everybody that's a big thing for us to do um more and more online for our examinations. We've got major examinations that are going online across Europe and the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got, I, I think I mentioned the bringing in the smart cards into construction into India. Yeah. Uh, in the UK, lots and lots of bank green skills. Um, we're, we're probably the most advanced awarding organization, uh, a, a charity awarding organization on green skills. Um, so a, a lot about how we 
we play our part in terms of helping people to get skilled mm-hmm. to get uh, to get the skills they need yes to build us the infrastructure for a net zero world yeah. uh, uh, and in that sense the big challenge is government policy is miles behind in the UK India is more advanced in terms of skills okay. for, for net zero. So there's a big challenge within Britain. And we're pushing away, not only in terms of what we're doing, but as a charity, one of my roles is to um, influence government policy. You know, so okay. I've got to run the place, <laughs> but can you also influence government policy? Uh, so I, I did quite a lot of work around, around that, trying to influence ministers. Uh, and departments, and we are behind. Uh, the National Audit Office just produced a, uh, a report on Wednesday um, on one aspect of, of net zero, the power generation, and basically said the government ain't got a plan. Yes, okay. uh, um, and uh, and that's true. Uh, but it, it, it's not it's not on that. It hasn't got a plan. Mm-hmm. It has a plan on how we're going to re-educate and reskill the whole of the British workforce uh, to live in a net zero world. In fact, first of all, build a net zero world. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so those green skills that you talk about, if there are organisations that are listening at the moment that are they're thinking about skilling their, their workforce, what kind of green skills do you mean? Can you elaborate? Yeah. Yes, there's, there's three. we've written a big report on screen, green skills. It's on our website, um, yeah. uh, as as all our green green skills. Um, there's three there's three types of areas where you need to. The first one is general awareness. Yes, because everybody in the way they work live can do something. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. or okay. achieving net zero, and. That's slightly different in different sectors. So what you might do in banking is different to what you might do in um, hospitality, mm-hmm. uh, radically different for construction, engineering, manufacturing, all of those sorts of things. So so teach your workforce what, what the implications for them and how they might contribute across the board in their sector. Or in, in what you. The other thing is that some of your workforce will need fairly extensive changes to the way they work and the skills they've got to do their job. Um, uh, it's interesting, the, uh, the government has an agency called IFATE, Institute of Apprenticeships and Technical Education. They've got quite a good idea because they call the first one light green, yes, which is general for everybody. Yeah. Then there's mid green, and mid green is where you'll still be a bricklayer, but you're actually going to do this in quite a different way. Yes, um, or you'll be a, a brain surgeon or whatever it is. Um, so you need to change the way you do things quite radically. That's And then there's completely new jobs, yes, such as fitting solar farms, mm-hmm. building hydrogen power stations, building carbon capture stations, mm-hmm. building wind farms and, and things like that, are with, which are dark green jobs and are really very, very new. Mm-hmm. And they are specifically for net zero. And we cover the whole, whole, whole gambit. Fantastic. Uh, but, yeah. yeah, fantastic. Thank you for sharing that with us. I'll, I'll, yeah. We'll add a link to the show notes as well to, to the Thank report. But it's Thanks been so really much. great yeah. speaking with you, Graham. I really enjoyed speaking with you and learning a bit more about your journey and the organisation and what you're doing. No, I've, I've, I've found it very engaging. Yeah, lovely to meet you.